At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the Britflix.com podcast. Welcome to another Britflix.com Fright Fest special podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Luke Himes, director of Exmoor. Well, that, that's uh, preempted the second question. So give us a brief synopsis of Exmoor. Uh, Exmoor is the story of a group of people, uh, two-thirds of them are Americans, who travel to Devon and go out on the moors uh, with the hope of getting some evidence of a cryptozoological panther that is supposed to roam the moors. They get out onto the moors and they stumble upon something much, much worse and surprise, surprise, everything goes to hell. <laughs> Sounds like the perfect ingredients for a horror film. Yeah, or, or perfect ingredients for a nice weekend away. <laughs> Get ready for them back, that bank holiday jaunt. Yeah. Um, so, in, if 50-50 is equal parts scares to gore, what would be the ratio of this movie? Ooh, I would say that we are tipping it way over the Scaresville territory. I think we're looking at maybe 80% scares versus 20% gore. Good, good. I like, I like, I like there, the scare there, more than the gore. There are some people out there that just do gore so beautifully, and I just felt like... Um, it might be better to do, have a couple of really strong moments of gore yeah. uh, that really get at our characters when they least expect it, but to kind of go into some of the scarier moments with a kind of um, look but don't look too hard kind of um, attitude to some of the things that they find. Now, not to completely spoil the movie, but what the guys stumble upon is a... Uh, serial killer's dumping ground out in the woods in the middle of the moor. And what they do is they kind of... It's the middle of the night, it's dark in the forest, and and how we play it is that we just shine torches across the bodies and occasionally illuminate little bits and pieces of them. You know, some of their shoes, discarded handbags, bits and pieces. So you've got this feeling of creepy nastiness all around, but... 
don't actually get uh, too up close and gross with the maggots that we put all over some of the bodies. And, and we did put maggots on the bodies, although strangely, in Northern Ireland where we shot, we ended up with bright red maggots. Mm-hmm. Now... I don't know. I mean, I was told that maybe that they'd all had a lot of nice blood to eat um, on their way to the set. But, you know, I'm standing there and I've never seen blood red maggots before. Have you? Um, I've seen pink ones. Right. Yeah. Well, this was this was a this was a a new revelation to me. And so um, the uh, the blood red maggots were actually set free in the woods uh, and they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. They did. Yeah, right. Add some radiation, and off we go. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they. But so yes, we definitely went more for scares, less for gore. Now, when and where can people see it at Frightfest? So um, we're pretty much owning Monday, the twenty fifth of August, two thousand fourteen, at Frightfest. You can see it at ten in the morning. You can see it around lunchtime, and then you can see it at three fifty in the afternoon. So, uh, that's you know, when I'll it, be seeing it. What's that? That's when I'll be seeing it. Oh, good, excellent. That's the best time to see it. Hopefully, we'll have a <laughs> uh, you know a few special guests and a couple of little surprises, and hopefully, the energy in the room will be great. I mean, so that'll be the first time you see it. Yes. Okay. Exciting. Um, I don't know how best to prepare you. Other than um, well, let's have this conversation. Let's see where it leads. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, but um, but so that's when we can see it. We can see it at Fright Fest. So uh, people need to just. Uh, I know that there are people are going to be tempted to go and see Sin City, a Dame to Kill for something that I've been waiting to do for five or six years. But but you can see that the next day. Come and see X More on the Monday at Fright Fest. <laughs> Well, Sin City's opening is is on the month is on the Friday, the Thursday even. Is it on the Thursday, really? Yeah, yeah they, they might be having repeat showings, but the actual for Friday first ticket holders, it's it's the main screen, it's the the nine thirty film. So it's the oh, guess, right. It's like the the guest is opening things, and Sin City is the sort of main event. Mm. So I mean, you know, you know, it's the three screens this year, don't you? So which is why you've got your three different times. Yeah. So what are they called? There we got the. What are the names I'm in of the, the horror channel. The one I'm in is the Horror Channel one. I don't know what the other two are called. Right. Um, because so, I'm just Britflix. I'm not Frightfest. Well, it's clearly the one to be at, the Horror Channel screen. <laughs> well, fortunately, uh, all my all my, my kind of Frightfest buddies that I usually see around, they're all in that screen too, which is completely by fluke, not by design. So I'll take the happy accident. So let's get on to your film. Um, if we, if you take your heart back to the scripting stage of the film, what do you recall was the was was some of the hard challenges to resolve the story you were trying to tell on the page before, before you even started sort of in pre-production? Well, uh, there were lots and lots of different challenges. We went through many different iterations of the script, as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, the question of um, who to survive was not giving anything away, but that was something that we went round and round with. You know, we tried a lot of different options to try and make it uh, a little bit more alternative. Then we went back and tried something a little bit more um, unusual. And then we tried something uh, quite... Uh, what we felt was right, the right way to go. The one that stuck, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to wait and see in the movie. (laughs) But... um, 
but so 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 that was one thing that was uh, a consideration. The other thing was for me was trying to make sure that the killer in the movie um, had enough about him uh, that made him a killer that had some depth. Um, and to kind of research him, I just you know looked into a lot of real cases and kind of handpicked facts about different serial killers. Uh, to kind of make a, an amalgamated character of our bad guy, the Beast. So give, give, us, give us two of your, uh, your um, fun facts, then, that you've, you've inserted into our killer's character. Well, um, spoiler alert, but uh, one of, the one that really stuck with me was um, there was a serial killer called uh, Gary Ridgway, who was the Green River Killer up in the, the oh, northwest is, of America. Uh, and uh, and he he had there was a terrible scenario where pe- prostitutes that he was meeting were so worried about the about the Green River Killer being around that he started taking his infant son with him to pick up prostitutes. He would then take the prostitutes to the woods. He would tell his son, wait here, I'll be back in 15 minutes, don't move. He'd go into the woods. He'd do what he had to do. He would then come out of the woods. He would rejoin his son, say, oh, my friend went off that way, and he would go home and then return to the body later on. So as you can imagine, that was something incredibly haunting. You know, what could that do to a young mind, especially later when they started to put those uh, memories together. So I just thought that was quite an interesting moment to elaborate on mm. and bring bring into our killer. And then the the other um, thing that we did to one of the other ones was just the idea of possession and the idea that um, based on kind of what Ted Bundy would do. Um, where he would go back to the scene of the crime and uh, have relations with some of his victims um, long after they had expired. <laughs> so, very, very nicely paused. Yeah. Uh, can I mention my grandma is coming to see this film? I just don't know what she's going to say. But, um, yeah, so, that's, so that was one of the things. Now, there was also something that I... Not to give everything away, but I thought, you know, one thing that I wanted to be different... Um, that I hadn't found in any real killer, and that was a killer who, you know, didn't crave that moment of squeezing the life out of um, his victim, someone who would get to that point of the kill but then not have the balls to properly go through with it. And if they died, well, he kind of left them. He didn't actually kill them, and that's something that we play with in the movie. Okay, that's interesting. So um, making films is never is never uh, the idea of an infinite budget lasting forever and just drawing it when you need it. Oh so, man! <laughs> so so in pre-production, once you once you once you'd sort of locked your script, as it were, what were, what were uh, some of the aspects of the shoot that seemed um, that that you, that you almost had to write for budget, as it were, um, as opposed to uh, just letting your imaginations run wild. Um, well, we shot out in Northern Ireland, even though the movie is set in North Devon. And, and by the way, I love that bit in the beginning of the conversation, actually, that the film's set in Devon, and then you went, and we shot it in Northern Ireland. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, um, it was, 
they've got some re- they've got something really special going on in Northern Ireland right now. I think it's um, an incredible time to be a filmmaker working over there. Like the quality of the crews, the quality of um, the locations, and just the atmosphere of professionalism is just you know, second to none. So I think we're going to be looking back at a lot of really good stuff that was made in Northern Ireland for years to come. Mm. So uh, meanwhile in Devon, (laughs) you know, it's nice clotted cream teas and, you know, um, people spotting panthers out their back window. (laughs) Um, But stuff that had to be revised within the script, I mean, it was really uh, just about uh, scaling things up or down, you know, um, how many victims would be in the dumping ground, um, what kind of interaction our characters would have with uh, a real panther, if there was a real panther out there in the, um, in the woods, on the moors. You know, it, that, those were a couple of the things. Um, and just in terms of uh, restrictions, I mean, we were out there in the cold. And I think maybe one of the main restrictions is that I was really fascinated with the idea because when I went to uh, Devon to research the movie, I found a lot of small abandoned towns, abandoned farms. I found that the economic situation in the cities had actually spread out to the countryside and had really taken its toll. And that's something that I wanted to put in the movie. But frustratingly enough, the architecture um in devon is distinctly different from the architecture in northern northern ireland so um that was one thing that actually had to go because we just couldn't find anywhere that looked right okay what so you you didn't go for an alternative it was just simply well i shot an alternative okay and then i just you know because you're out there it was the you know Next to all of the locations that I was shown in Northern Ireland, yeah. it was definitely the best, but it looked nothing like Devon. And, you know, the movie starts with the Northern Ireland logo, so already that might be putting people out of the moment a little bit. Mm. But I just felt that we have to try and make things as authentic as possible, and <laughs> the look was just wrong. I mean, I, I, uh, I interviewed one of the guys involved with Outpost 3, which is a World War II period drama set on the Russian front with Nazis. And I think that was shot just outside York. Really? Which really blew my mind. I, I, I like this alchemy about, about film, that it's, uh, it's the presentation of it, not the facts of it. You know, the camera, yeah. The camera really is a lying bastard, really. It definitely is. And we should encourage it to be like, because, oh, man, yeah, absolutely. Like, I went to visit Almeria, Spain on my holidays recently. Oh, you've been to the western town? Yeah. It's amazing, that, isn't it? It's incredible. And that's doubled for, you know, Afghanistan, you know, the Old West, the New West, Mexico, uh, Morocco, even Spain. I mean, and other planets. It's, it's really incredibly versatile. Well, another British horror film that's, that I've the podcast's already out called Blood Moon. That's set in um, where's that set now? Utah. It's a gothic western. Ooh, and that's a British horror film. British cast, shot in Kent. No, really. Yeah, unbelievable. And you, oh, would, I wow. mean, you wouldn't know it to watch the film. I mean, you know, going back, I mean, it's uh, it, it was a big revelation for me when I was a kid to realise that Superman and Batman movies were shot, um, you know, in 
in bucket in either box or whatever you know it's um <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah but you know i i think that it's amazing what can be done i mean if anything i would have preferred you know just a few more rolling hills um but you know we had a really good situation out in northern ireland we managed to team up with a producer and a production designer who had access to an incredible 500 acre farm and it was just a gift because we were able to keep our unit based on this farm and find lots of different nooks and crannies of forest and farmland and stuff that um, looked like a diff- different places without us having to go out of where we were based, which, you know, is, 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 is difficult sometimes. Well, you it's know, almost to, like a filmmaker's dream, isn't it, really? It was, can, yeah. Like it was travelled tens of miles, and in fact, you've just moved about 500 yards. It, it, was, it, was, it was great. And, you know, there was, um, I, you know, there was a, there's a, a really good director that I met with, um, a, you know, a friend of mine who I worked with before called James Nunn, who's do, done Green Street Hooligans 3 and a few other bits and pieces, Tower Block. He said to me a really good piece of advice, which I wish I'd have listened to. He said, mate... One piece of forest in the dark looks like any other piece of forest in the dark. Like, don't, you know, I, and I, of course, I was there. And, of course, you know, I, those words went in one ear and out the other. But, you know, because we were like, oh, this bit, that bit, this bit. And you watch it later in the movie and it just all just looks like the same place. You know, even though it was, you know, 495 acres separated from another piece of location. So that's a tip for other filmmakers out there. The woods look like the bloody woods. I, I remember I went to see a presentation from Richard Holmes and he was talking about um, making Eden Lake. Mm. And there was one point where he saw them reshooting a scene, I think it was, and it was in the heart of the, the woods. And he was going, what are you doing? And they're going, we're getting this it's continuity that these, these, these bushes are these bushes kind of thing. And he went, they're all King Green. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. <laughs> He's again, right. I, guess, I couldn't mean, be told you, you beforehand. You to but... pay attention, don't you? But I, I guess, and, and that's a producer speaking, I guess, you know, this is costing money. We could be doing new stuff, you know, it's that kind of, and I guess that's the, that's the yin and yang of making any film, isn't it? When it's, because there isn't a bottomless pit and the more efficient you can be, as in having a single location where you can spread your wings without having to travel, like you yeah. described. Um, so apart from obviously finishing the film, on the shoot itself, what do you consider to be your like from a director's point of view? What do you consider to be your kind of your big achievements, or or maybe there's there's a mo- there was a moment or something that you feel really proud of in terms of what you did when you were out there? Um, there, when things really start to get going in the movie, when when you know, because I sat down when I wrote it, I was like, look, every six pages, I want there to be something else that happens that is the worst possible thing you can imagine. And then six pages later, another worse thing than you imagined, and then worse again, and then worse. So um, being able to get that across and get that on film, you know, that feeling of like being on uh, in the middle of an avalanche that keeps going off cliff after cliff after cliff, mm. um, that's something that I'm really proud of, the, the vibe that we managed to carry through on that. Um, and, you know, I, another thing is just, you know, we've got, 
you know, the, apart from the main cast, there are three young actresses in the film who play various roles who have done, like, a little bit of work before they came to us. And all of them, like, brought so much passion to it and uh, really, like, meant that the film felt like it had different chapters because those are the chapters where we meet those characters along the way. Yeah. It made, made it feel um, kind of, you know, like it, 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 like different moments of the movie had different things to say. So I was, I was really pleased um, with their performances and, you know, because they're fresh and new. I mean, as far as stuff that I'm really happy with, I mean... Oh, the ending. There's, there's, there's some things that happen. Yes. That maybe we won't see coming. Oh. And uh, if those things, uh, we'll, we'll only know you and I when we're sitting in that room at Fright Fest at around you know five oh five p.m. <laughs> on Monday the twenty fifth of August. If, if those moments have you know, serve their purpose. And it's not just me and the editor who feel like they really punched hard. So we have to wait and see, you know. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's one thing that I'm really excited about. Um, having, having, I mean, going, going on to your cast, I mean, having, you, said, you said it's what? British and American cast. It's actually um, pretty much, I mean, there's a, what do we got? We've got, it's two American characters um, but one of them is played by a British guy, okay. and one of them is played by a Greek actress. Oh, very good. So, yeah. So how did, how did that manifest itself when trying to cast two American characters then? How did, what, was your, what was your remit there? Or did, you, did they come to you? Were they already chosen? Oh, no. We, we saw umpteen people, mm. and not only did we see umpteen people on their own, but we saw umpteen people in pairs, over and over and over again, um, almost to the point where we didn't really, you know, couldn't really um, uh, bear to hear those scenes anymore. I mean, one <laughs> of the scenes I had to completely throw away before we shot because I just, if I ever heard those words again, I was going to saw my own head off. Um, <laughs> but, um, but they were just, you know, we had a really great casting director called Elaine Granger. And, you know, we just, I, you know, I picked a couple of people that had qualities that I felt were going to be right for the characters, you know. Um, Malia, who plays Georgia, she had a certain worldliness to her and a certain confidence that I felt was very necessary uh, for a girl who you'd believe could lead two grown, sane men out into the woods on a crazy mission to film a big black cat. (laughs) And then there was uh, her boyfriend... Matt, who's played by Nick Blood, and um, he just had a kind of, uh, like, he's a big guy, but he had a kind of openness to him that uh, is kind of rare for someone of his size, and he had a kind of innocence to him that I thought would really be interesting. And then on top of that, I saw that they, the characters were great at the starting point, but the their talents allowed us to be able to really explore with how the uh, repercussions of their experiences affect them. So, you know, they were great at point one, and and something we spent a long time working out is the gradual descent into craziness that they both go through as shit continues to hit the fan. Okay, and and as a British filmmaker, you've already said how 
great it was. But logistically speaking, how did you manage that being British located, sorry, England located, and then going to make a film in Northern Ireland? How did you sort of straddle the two places, or was it was it very separate? Well, um, it was uh, it was like there were a lot of resources out there in Northern Ireland. We had a good team out there, and it, we just prepared everything in the UK up until like a month before shoot. And then I just went out to Northern Ireland and um, and just started. There was like a nat- natural point once we kind of secured the actors. Um, where I could, I, I, you know, going back a little bit, but then I ended up going to Northern Ireland and kind of digging my heels in and getting going. And was and was it was it kind of love at first sight then the 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 choice of location Northern Ireland or was there other places that you'd that you had? Well, um, we were very lucky. Um, my producers secured investment from Northern Ireland. Okay. So they got involved and. Um, there was, there was, it's not as, and there were, there were choices along the way. You know, my producers were talking to a few other regional bodies, mm-hmm. um, and it was decided that Northern Ireland was, was the one that were, you know, would give us the most, um, you know, and just watching Game of Thrones every week, you can of see course, what <laughs> incredible locations there are that would, you know, t- that I was just watching and I go, I was just pausing it, taking photos of the screen and going, right. I want my characters lost up that mountain. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I could see, you know, with Game of Thrones is, is so professionally produced that that was the quality of the crews out there, and, and off we went. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, look, um, remind us again, when, when can people watch the film? Uh, the film is on at View Leicester Square on Monday, the 25th of August, 2014, as part of Fright Fest. There is a screening. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to. I'm going to learn this for my next interview. But there's a screening, like at either 10:15 or 10:50 in the morning. There's a screening around lunchtime, and then there's another screening at 3:50 p.m. in the afternoon. That is well. At least I know the 3:50 one is, is correct. Yeah. Um, so. As as is the habit on uh, on the Fright Fest preview special podcast, I like to get my filmmakers to recommend to the Britflix audience a British horror film that they feel is maybe underrated and deserves a bit more kudos. Now, this is a film that maybe isn't going to be underrated to the Fright Fest audience, but um, it's a film that kind of really stuck with me, and it's a, a film called The Dead from two thousand and ten. Okay. Have you seen The Dead, Stuart? This is the African... Uh, yeah. The Dead, the Dead 2 opened last year's... Did it open last year's or the year before? I think it, I think it was 2010. Or maybe... No, no, no. There's, there's been a sequel, hasn't there? Yes, yes. I haven't got around to seeing the sequel yet, but um, I was just incredibly impressed by how on edge the idea of a zombie breakout not just in an American shopping mall or, you know, in, in, in Britain, uh, but relocating it out to Africa and having, um, you know, that sole character played by uh, Rob Freeman trying to, you know, trying to make his journey out. I just, I love the movie. Um, I think it, it should have got a lot more attention. I think it should have had a wider release. I was greatly impressed by it. And I hope that the sequel is just as impressive. I'm going to put that on my list to get to seeing that quite soon. (laughs) 
And uh, does does Exmoor have an official release date, or is is the Fright Fest showing um, the release date? We don't have an official release date yet, but uh, watch this space. I shall be announcing it on my Twitter at Luke Hyams, uh, L U K E H Y A M S, very soon. Oh, okay. So you're very close to, to knowing when it is. Well, we are. We're getting close. Yeah. Good man. We will we'll let us know at Britflix, and we'll 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 pump it out as a piece of news. Thank you very much. When you've got the uh, when you've got the details through, and uh, thank you very much for your time. Well, I hope you like the movie, Stuart. <laughs> no pressure then for me on the Monday. Well, you come and find me, and uh, you can tell me whether you like it or not. <gasps> I don't know if I can do that. Oh man! <laughs> if I hear the fire escape pop uh, to, as the credits roll, I'll realise that you didn't like it. Oh, oh come on! I'm not, I'm not the only one that's going to be in the room. The pressure's more. I mean, how do you how do you feel about you know it's, it's you that's going to be sort of sitting with it like you say before is the um you and your editor you and your editor are happy with what you've done is is have you watched it with ed- with even a cast and crew screen or anything like that yet no i haven't i haven't shown it to many people yet i mean i showed it to somebody i showed it to um no i we haven't really shown, i mean sure it's the producers but that definitely doesn't count because they were out there in the freezing cold with us so yeah it's <laughs> going to be a big moment to show it to everybody that's really exciting that's really i mean i've only, I've only done short films you know I'm, I'm still working up to getting that first feature done and you're you're you're, you're there at fright fest and the big screen it's gonna well, be exciting i you know the thing is is uh, where I, I i did actually see the dead the movie i was talking about before at fright fest a few years ago and mm. I was just incredibly inspired by the reaction the movie got mm. and, you know, the reaction that other stuff that I've seen there has got. And I think that, you know, it, it, it's a great place for it to start. And my develop, the development lady that I was working with, you know, she, she did, there were things in the script that she said, oh, well, Fright Fest audience, they'll laugh at that. Or Fright Fest audience, you know, they clapped for an original kill. And so, you know, mm. the, the festival was very much in our minds as we were producing the movie. Well, I so I think it's safe to say that, I mean, it's interesting your development person was saying that because it's the, you know, I think, I think now the Fright Fest audience is almost as famous as the films that get put on there. Um, yeah. I mean, last year was quite funny. Uh, Mark Commode came to watch the, uh, the next in the franchise of the Chucky movies. Oh really? And uh, having watched that with a fright fest audience, cause obviously it's not it's not the most vis- it's never going to be the most visceral of films, but with a with a kind of knowing genre audience, he he announced that cinemas should add to their you know mums and babies pensioners and horror fans only screenings. Yeah, because uh, I think that's what you get with fright fest is you get a, an audience that that a is on the filmmaker's side. I think for starters. Yeah. So kind of, and he's and he's appreciative of being able to see films on the big screen that you know, in the following few weeks you're not going to have as much chance to see because of the way film distribution works. So Fright mm. Fest becomes a special event in that sense. Completely. And you, you get, I mean, if, if if you've ever done the weekend, it's a bit of a hot house of horror. Yeah. It's uh, it's like it's like your uh, like horror films flashing before your eyes. Oh, what, what is it doing to the audiences? What lasting effect? None at all. None yeah. at all. Well, maybe it's making them go out and write more horror films, and that's not a bad thing, is it? I think so. You're not the first person I've spoken to, and obviously I'm in the same camp. I mean, I remember in 2011 sitting there watching Kill List and just gulping and going, oh, the bar's just been risen again. Yeah. You know, you think you think you know what you think good horror is, and then somebody comes along and throws something else at you, so you're... you're 
you're thinking, oh, I've got to go back to the drawing board again now, rethink it. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing, but it's... But, uh, you know, that's the great thing about this genre. You know, some other people have asked me, like, why is it that people like to break in with this genre? And it's because... Well, A, it's it's one that, you know, it, it, people are really passionate about. And B, I, I feel like it is um, a, a great genre for, like, everybody trying to constantly push it in different directions. Well, you said yourself. I mean, on a very base level, there is points for, you know, points for an original kill. If you could do something interesting on screen that's going to surprise the audience because they've never seen it before then horror's got a lot of iconic imagery, and if you can add to that, yeah. add, to it, to a, a no, add to it in front of a knowing audience, then then that's a challenge, isn't it, for any filmmaker to try and... Definitely. And I think if you look at, if you look at the programme they've got, and the reason I asked the question about sort of scares versus gore, is now Fright Fest is sort of... Uh, there's, there's a few kind of in the programme now, there's a few what you might just call dark dramas. Mm. There's a film on the list called Faults, which I don't know if you've got on your if you if you've noted it. Not yet. Well, that, tell me about faults. And that's a, that's the story of a of a disgraced cult deprogramming man who gets Ooh. hired by a, a desperate mother and father to deprogram their daughter. Ooh, nice. And it's a real kind of hothouse type film happening across two motel rooms, and the broken life of him makes him in the end more vulnerable than the girl he's trying to deprogram. And so, you know, I won't tell you anymore for fear of spoiling it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it just as, you know, that's that's a very different film than you probably would have seen back in 2000 when Fright first started. But I think it speaks volumes for the way the genre fans are open to a lot more than just straight, you know, straight down the line horror. Yeah. So, well, there we go, sir. I think we've had a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it myself. Thank you, Stuart. And good luck on uh, on the 25th. I'm sure it's going to be great. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the Britflix.com podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the Britflix.com podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 